Welcome to this week's episode of Dangerous to Go Alone. I'm Jay Ray, and I will never be an ultimate beastmaster. And I'm Amanda, and I beat my last divine beast in Breath of the Wild. So what's next for you? Hyrule Castle, man. Um. Fucking Hyrule Castle, taking on that Calamity Ganon. <laughs> you excited? Uh, yeah. Sorry for everybody listening to this who's like, wow, that noob should have beat that game four months ago. Whatever, guys, I don't have a lot of time to play games. You know what uh, Sal Volcano and Brian Quinn say on their podcast? What? Go fuck yourself. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> Go fuck yourself, guys. That's it. I play in my own pace, in my own time. That's it. And I I beat Vodna Boris. And now, and now it's, well, no, I'm, I'm still doing a bunch of side quests and shit. You're just enjoying yourself. I am. I'm loving it. Ba-ba-ba-ba-ba. <laughs> this episode uh, is brought to you by our lovely, lovely sponsor, Zencaster. Woo! I have to turn everybody down just a little. It's okay. This is uh, editing magic here. Um, yeah, uh, if you go to Zencaster.com and put in all caps, broken jars at checkout, you get a discount on your uh, first year of your basic plan. Tell me about Zencaster. What what's Zencaster? Well, Amanda. Yeah. Zencaster is a premier platform for podcasting. Uh, basically, if you are not fortunate enough to be like Amanda and I, uh, to be in the same room, to look into each other's eyes, to yell about whether or not certain characters and certain DC films that came out in a certain time period close to this particular moment in time should have died or not. <laughs> <laughs> You're probably doing it over Skype or Hangouts or whatever. Zencaster allows you an opportunity to record those um, audio files as if you were in the same room. I hear that you use this service with your deskmate, Jacob, on I the do. Great Scott podcast. <laughs> you said the thing. Um, I do with my deskmate, Jacob. Your deskmate, Jacob. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, he's out way in Pittsburgh and I'm way over here in the Meadowlands of New Jersey and... Um, We've been using Zencaster for two or three shows now, and, and the quality's gone up astronomically. Absolutely. It sounds a lot better. Um, Not that it sounded bad before, but it sounds yeah, no, a lot better. You know, and, it, and it's easier for us. They have um, post-editing software that helps edit the episode when you're done. I mean, if you like to do it, that's great for you. You could just uh, export that raw file. But if you're not a big audio file, like some of us here on the Broken Jars Network, uh, it'll kind of do it all for you. Fixes it up, gives you an MP3, gives you a WAV file, puts them together, get them separate, whatever. I don't give a shit. And I just, you, <laughs> I like that you said audio file, as in audio, P-H-I-L-E, but when you said it, I was like, audio file, like two words, right, like right. audio, F-I-L-E. Like if, if you're an audio like, file and are concerned about your audio files, <laughs> yeah. uh, Zencaster is the way to go. Uh, so if you want a huge discount and you want to support a great podcast like Dangerous to Go Alone, Great Scott, High Fantasy, the Dresden Files podcast, or that other one that's brand new that I don't even know the name of right now, uh, go to Zencaster.com and type in all caps, Broken Jars. Cool shit. Speaking of video games, <laughs> I accidentally beat Horizon Zero Dawn last night. That's what he tells me. I, I was asleep. Yeah, she went to bed. I took a shower, and I was like, you know what, let me just play a little bit. And I was at this mission where different people I'd run into throughout the game were together. 
because of this threat. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, this is fun. Like, this is like where we all unite and start working toward the greater good. Little did I know that that was all in one mission. So I started it, and then you get all these things that are like warning, no going back after this point. Um, but it's not the first time that that's happened in this game. Okay. There was another instance where the um, the mission giver was all like, make sure you're all stocked up or don't have any unfinished business before you do this because it was a long mission and you're not in the open world anymore. Mm-hmm. So I thought this was like that, and I was like, okay, no problem. So I went through it, and it was pretty cool. Um and then the game was over. And I was like, what? Did the? credits roll? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's all I'll say. Maybe um, in another episode or something, I'll, I'll go into what I thought about that game. But yeah, I, I accidentally fucking beat it. But are you going to keep playing now? You're going to go back and do some side quests and shit since well, you weren't intending to finish it when you did? By happenstance, uh, recently they actually just released New Game Plus. So I don't know if you're familiar with New Game Pluses. I am not. New Game Plus allows you to restart the game with all of your upgrades um, that you had from your previous save. Okay. So you have some Dark Link stuff now in Breath of the Wild. Yeah, yeah. Presumably, if you did a New Game Plus in Breath of the Wild, you'd come out of that rehabilitation cave or whatever on the Great Plateau. Yep. And you would have that also. Um, traditionally you play it on a harder difficulty so you have gear that'll help when you're playing it on a harder difficulty that makes sense um, but you're not going to do that you'll lose all the quests you've already done right I've done them all you've, all the side quests I mean there's some like BS side quests like you're um, not going to do well there's so tutorial side done. quests which are stupid you don't have to do them I just didn't know you were like prepared to finish the game like I didn't know that you would finish all the side quests well I got that sweet arm yeah it was sweet um well, that was what was confusing, too, because I had to do a mission to get this last piece to get this armor. Mm-hmm. And it was level 25, the whole thing. Um, then this mission that I just did last night that was done was, like, level 32. Mm-hmm. I was at level 45. Wow. So I was like, how could I be so high level and this last mission be the last mission? Right. I'm sure there's more stuff after. Right. Uh, but no, not the case. All right. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I was all hooked up. And there, there were some interesting things in that last boss fight too because there were mechanics that you didn't... It didn't feel like an accumulative uh, encounter that required all the skills I had learned before. Um, there was like a person fight, which I had never done before like that, where this person was really strong and I had to just unload on them. Then there was a weird fight where you pick up like a heavy weapon, which you don't walk around with. You just find them. Mm-hmm. And you use them until there's no ammo and then you're done. Yeah, I've seen you do that. Um, but there was a whole part of this encounter where I was only using one and it basically had infinite ammo. Oh, interesting. Um, and, all, you know, it's not like there was an objective. It was just kill the bad guys. Right. It's not like stop them from reaching a point or something like that. Sure. And then after that, then it was like a big robot fight. But... Hardly the hardest robot fight. Hmm. Um, so that's why I also, even while I'm doing it, I'm like, this can't be the end. Well, I have a feeling when I get to Calamity again and like, I mean, you watched me beat Bonaboris and right. like, you know, it's that final battle that I wasn't very tough because like I'm so high level the way you were level 45 right. when they said you needed to be 32 or whatever. Like I, I'm pretty, 
souped up, as Correct. it were. Right, right, right. Um, so I feel like the climate again in fight's going to feel that way too, a little like anticlimactic mm. because not because the game necessarily wanted you to do it sooner right? because it wants you to do it however you want to do it, but you could have done it sooner and they wanted to make it possible for people who wanted to do right. it sooner to be able to do it sooner. Um, well, so, but it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of lame. Well, there's, there's, um, in both games, there are things that you don't use that I've seen that you not use. Yeah. Uh, and similarly, weapons that I never used. Right. Um, that happens in most games, though. I felt that way about uh, Rise of the Tomb Raider. I, when I watched you play, it was very different than how I played in terms of the weapon choices uh, and sure, stuff. Sure, sure. Um, well, that that was an error on my part, too, because I didn't know I had all these weapons. Right. I was playing with, like, the first pistol, the AK-47. In Rise of the Tomb Raider? For a long time. Yeah, I see. I, I thought the exclamation points were like, hey, you've unlocked the ability to unlock these weapons. Mm. You just have to find the parts. But that only happens for some weapons. Right. At some point, you just get them. Yeah. Uh, which was weird because in Tomb Raider 2013, yep. um, it's like a thing when you get a new weapon. Mm-hmm. Like, Laura finds a pistol. Cutscene. You know? Right, right, right. So I thought it was going to be like that, but it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um. Like, for example, like, you don't really, there's that weird mechanic where if you perfectly dodge, you get, like, the fury swipes or whatever. Yeah. And you don't do that. In Breath of the Wild. Totally right? fine. Because yeah. you fight them however you fight them, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. Similarly, there's, like, a lot of traps I could set, which I just never used. Right. <laughs> I was like, I'm just going to unload on this person, that's yeah. it. So, you know, uh, I was waiting for a moment, like, in, what's that game you like a lot? On N64. It's a Zelda game. The one. Ocarina, Ocarina of Time. Time. Thank you. Sorry. Stupid moment. Uh, where you're fighting Ganon in like a rooftop enclosed space. The final space. battle. The first part of the final battle. You're right. fighting Ganondorf, not Ganon. Ganondorf. Sorry. Ganondorf. Um, and like there's only one way to do it. Like you have to be really good at deflecting yep, you have um, to with shoot the sword. Back the thing. Yep. Right. Um, which means you need to know the multiple ways to hit. Which I also didn't know when I was fighting Dark Link. Right. That you could do side swipes and up and down swipes. Oh my on god, purpose. guys, that was the funniest day of my life. It's terrible. I was like, <laughs> why does he keep fucking jumping on my sword? <laughs> um, uh, you know, then you need to be able to like, I don't know. It was just like, he was very good at making all of the skills you had learned up until that point useful. In a way that. Well, I feel like games. I mean, this is getting very tangential here but i feel like games have made that shift in and that's actually what i don't like about it right um into the terms of this like open world shift Hmm. i've come to terms with it because it's what we're doing clearly so i have to accept it but i mean the like more conservative person person in me i guess is like salty that you can just go defeat calamity ganon as soon as you get off the great plateau yeah but and again again, you you said it was hard i know i know i know but like Again, like you're saying, there's all these different ways you can fight and weapons you don't even use sure. and all this stuff. But that's and I'm what I'm just... saying. Like, that you don't do that dodge because right. you don't need to. Right. The person who runs there has to. Yeah. They don't have the hearts to do it. They don't have... Presumably, they haven't farmed I mean, I guess. So, like that, I know? suppose it would limit you if you decided to do, do things that way. Right. But I, I guess my point is, like... I, I get the beauty of, like, it's so nice to have so many options so you can play a game the way you want to play it. Right. But another way, I'm like, well, like, where's the fun in that? The challenge of Ocarina of Time and that battle you're talking about was, like, no, you have to do this. Right. You know? And to just be like, no, well, you could also do this, or you could do this, or you could do this, is sort of like, I don't know. Well, it's kind of lame. Part of me think that's, like, a balancing thing, though. Because... Um, 
So this last enemy was sensitive to heat weapons. Mm -hmm. So if I unloaded a lot of fire stuff, that caused uh, the enemy to get into its, um, you know, the state where like all of its like shiny hit me, hit me moments are happening, you know? Right. Um, Because I was so high level and because I'd been faffing about for so long, I had tons of materials to keep reloading my weapons to do that. Right. That's an instance where the balancing was in my favor, obviously. Right. Um, what they, you know, so what could have been done is maybe in a situation where like I'm, I have limited supply of something or whatever, right? Um, yeah, it's 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 tricky, faux show, but like because there was an instance earlier, uh, you know, in between episodes of Dangerous to Go Alone, where I was playing and I hit a situation where they stripped me of all my weapons, right? And that was fun, I thought. Yeah. Um, and then, well, I guess and that's then what halfway through the battle, I get my shit, and then I can yeah. like. Have my revenge, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's because we're old, but I just feel like video games circa 1987 or whatever were hard because like you had to do this one thing and you had to do it perfectly. Otherwise, you weren't going to move forward. Whatever it was, like take something like it's not quite that old, but like Paperboy or Mm. something. You know, it's like get the fucking newspapers in the mailbox or loose. Period. Because what what you're talking about, though, is like... um, like, this game is this game. We play Rocket League. Mm-hmm. We're playing Rocket League. The thing about a game like Horizon or, you know, Horizon can just as much be a hunting game as it could be just the game that you're playing the story for. Yeah. Similar for you, too. Like, you know, you could have a whole ecosystem mini game where you're fucking killing animals and monster bits to sell them to see how much money you can get. Sure, yeah. Um, so, like... So you're right. There's some bad with that openness of it. But what it affords are people who don't like just rushing to the end. An opportunity to enjoy games they hadn't traditionally liked before in a way that's kind of unconventional. Yeah, no, absolutely. Again. Like you have a house. Uh, yeah. I bet ton- like you haven't done anything with that house. What do you have in it? It's done. What the fuck are you talking no, about? Like I haven't done anything What's in inside house? of it? I bought furniture. I bought decorations. It's well, like last time I saw it, there was only a bed. And there I'm are like sorry. eight different bed. places to mount weapons, and all of them are filled with weapons that I decided okay. to keep. You okay. motherfucker! Okay. That is last my time house. I saw your house. There's okay. only a bed. Is all I'm saying. All that's right. all I knew. Well, I didn't it's realize. all done. There's trees and the flowers thing. outside. There There's a, a sign <laughs> that says Link's house. There was a DLC for Skyrim called Home Dawn. Some shit. I don't know. Maybe it's both of them. Uh, but you could buy a house in Skyrim. You couldn't before. Right. And same thing. You kind of, you know, furniture it up and you can get married and have a kid. Which sounds like fucking stupid to me. Yeah. But people, I love Harvest Moon, so it makes sense. people loved it. Right. So yeah. it's like, a, like every, that was, um, that openness allows more people to want to play it, I guess. Because there's more things in it that other people would like. Yeah. Um, but there, I guess if we're considering ourselves hardcore gamers in this instance, um, maybe we're... That's why we feel like we're missing out. Yeah, I mean, I think mostly I just like probably hold an amount of judgment I shouldn't hold for people who want to do something the way that I think is the wrong way to do it. <laughs> you know, right. people who want to just go take on Calamity again and with three hearts, and then want to be done with the game after that. I just like I hate them. I don't think they were done with the game. Like, well, but then I don't understand your motivation to move forward. So maybe I just don't understand these people. So yeah, maybe no. that's what it is. Yes, that's what it is. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's like all the, it's like why Grand Theft Auto's had legs for five years. You right. know, it's like, it's not that people want to just be done with the game. It's they want to push the limits of the game to see what else they can do in it. 
Yeah. You know, there's like all these stunt videos in Grand Theft Auto where people are fucking parachuting out of a helicopter and then skydiving through a donut hole sign mm-hmm. that's only 20 feet off the ground and then pulling their chute and not dying, you know? Um, that's not part of the game. Right. But that's what they like doing. So there are whole channels dedicated to just stunts. Sure. Um, so I think that's the good and bad of this openness of video games is like, you know, what are people, people want to see how far they could push the game. So the three heart thing is just a challenge for that person. Yeah. I mean, you know, we have a buddy, our, our friend, Nick, he used to do something in Ocarina of Time back in the day right, called right. the three heart challenge, which is something he made up himself, but he tried to beat the game only having three hearts. And anytime, you know, a piece of heart would become available to him, he wouldn't pick it up. Um, so you could always sort of do some of that stuff depending on the type of game, but yeah, there's a website waypoint, um, that's owned by vice and they were doing a playthrough of breath of the wild where they, they'll have the viewers vote on a new rule that's implemented mm-hmm. and he's doing a permadeath run. So if he dies, he dies. Okay. And then every new episode, there's a new rule that's been implemented, voted in by everybody else. And at some point, like somewhere ridiculous, like you couldn't heal yourself was like the first rule. Yeah. So all of a sudden, like, you can't do anything. Um, then it was, like, no using spears, you know? Like, it got ridiculous. And it's just because, like, how far can I take this? You sure. Know? So, but it, we're not into that. I don't do that. Yeah, I'm not into right. it. Yeah. Like, New Game Plus, this ultra hard mode that they just introduced. Like, right. I don't want to do it. Right. I That's why I like playing games on medium traditionally. Because, yeah. like, I just want no, to enjoy the game. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want it to be easy, but I don't um, want to not be able to move forward. Yeah. So, this week's episode is not about video games. It's about movies. Movies! Uh, Specifically two movies that we've seen in between episodes that we um, have feelings about and we want to share with you, fucks. Yeah, fucks. First up... Fucks. Baby Driver. (laughs) Baby Driver. Uh, Baby Face Driver Face. Baby Face Driver Face Face. (laughs) That's what I've been calling it. Baby Face Driver Face Face. Um, It is a new film by Edgar Wright. Um, we were fortunate enough to see it in uh, the city, uh, New York City, New York, the only the city, <laughs> New York City, um, followed by a Q&A by the man himself, Edgar fucking right. That's right. That's correct. <laughs> the man, the myth, the legend. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it was, uh, not particularly interesting how it came about, but the day before Amanda's like, Hey, this thing's happening. You want to do it? And I was like, oh, I don't know. She's like, we should do it. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> we did it. And then we got there and it was pretty flawless getting there. We sat in shit seats. Oh, we had terrible seats. Literally the front row. Literally the most right you possibly could be. Yeah. Literally every single character in that movie looked like fucking Quasimodo had sex with Igor and they had some type of weird tube baby. <laughs> That then became actors in this film. <laughs> that is true. Um, eyeballs that is were to say, yeah. uh, the screen, the movie screen was curved, like a curved TV, and yeah. we're on the outside, so a, close. Of like an orchestra seating. Yeah. Yeah. Theater. Yeah. It so, it, yeah, everybody's faces looked a little bit distorted from most, yeah. most times when they were on the screen. <laughs> right. Uh, but the flick is basically about a young man named Baby. Who is, baby face, baby driver face. Right? <laughs> who is a getaway driver for a criminal planner man. Um, yeah, and then a criminal planner. Yeah, man. I don't know. I don't know if he's a criminal mastermind. Some, I mean, you know. he orchestrates heists. Right. 
or bank robberies, robberies, I guess I should say, more than heists. A heist composer. Yeah. (laughs) He's a heist magician. (laughs) He's a performance heister. That's right. It's like you had money in your vault, now you see it, now you don't. Poof. Um, Played by Kevin Spacey. Right. The heist magician. And then there's some other criminals we see. We see John Hamm. Yep. We see Jamie Foxx. We see Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Oh, I didn't realize that was him. Oh, yeah. We see John Barenthal. Then we see a very funny Asian man. Oh, he was my fave. J.D.? I, I think was the character's name. I don't remember it's the terrible. Name. Two other great people in the movie is this Asian man who is very funny. Yeah. And this uh Hispanic woman who is also the darling was her character. Oh yeah, name. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um I don't know their names. I'm terrible. I should yeah. have pulled it up. I should have done research. I didn't do it. Sorry guys. Anyways, we saw this movie a couple weeks ago. They're all in it. They're all very great. I mean everybody is top notch in this flick, I think. Absolutely, I agree. The casting very is very well performed. Yeah, exactly. Well cast, yeah, absolutely. I mean, to me... No weak link in the chain. No, no. I mean, even the uh, damsel in the stress, so to speak. Yeah, who, I thought she was good too. Right. She probably wasn't written great. Yeah. But the actress did really well with what she had I agree. Um, to offer. She was so like, I don't know. She was like a... This is going to sound really you know, bad, but she was like a unique looking white lady, which is kind of nice. There's mm. something about her look. I think it was her teeth, maybe. Well, it especially like, in this mm. movie, she's not made to be like a glamorously gorgeous woman yeah she looks like a like neighbor next person. door kind of person yeah, yeah. um i think yeah. i've seen pictures of her did up yeah. with her hair did sure um and she's very pretty i'm sure right, in the and flick, she's, she's very she's... pretty in the flick too but yeah. you know i'm just saying mostly if i saw a movie with a white lady in it who i didn't know who was two weeks later i wouldn't remember what she looked like but i remember what this lady looked like which means mm-hmm. she must have had a unique right look to her um it's super music heavy. Um, it's basically a two-hour-long music video. <laughs> kind of. Um, I mean, even like talking bits have like important music scoring going on. You know. Right. So, baby um, had he was in a car accident as a kid. Yeah. And so he has a ringing. He has tinnitus. He has a ringing in his ears all the time. So he um, listens to music and earbuds all the time, 100% of the time, to help drown out that ringing noise, which can really, like, make you nauseous and stuff. People have a lot of trouble with that. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, so we hear what Baby hears throughout the movie. So that's why it's so music-heavy. Yeah, and it's how he, like, keeps rhythm when he's driving and doing his crazy stunts or whatever. Yeah. and it's like it's kind of like Guardians, but really, like this is even more important. Guardians yeah. is there for like reference, yeah, like where Star like Lord's coming from, yeah, and, and and like something emotional in Guardians of like how that mu- music is connected to him and his past right. and his That's humanity. Right. Besides, since he's in a world full of aliens and stuff and talking raccoons and shit, so trash pandas, trash pandas. Um, but Baby Driver is like really like. It feels like no one would move forward if the music wasn't playing. Like that's yeah. how integral it is to yeah, me. It's yeah, it's true. Well, and we learned in the Q and A, um, which I guess I'm glad happened after, but I would like to rewatch the movie first of all because it was good. Yeah. But, um, second of all, because um, because of this comment, I'd like to watch it with new eyes. But um, Edgar Wright mentioned that he first got the idea for this movie like 20 years ago or something, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it was 
the music first, I guess, is the point. So he heard a song. Right. And he saw a car chase. Right. Um, and he literally built a whole movie around that fact. That's right. Um, which makes it seem like, I mean, that could have gone terrible. That could have been a terrible movie. But this story is actually really, really good. Um, but I think he tells a really compelling story, even though ultimately it kind of is like Jerry is suggesting. But this isn't to slight the movie because mm. it is a very good movie. Um, it feels a little like a music video because those car chase sequences with the music, you know, they're very um, choreographed, I guess. Yeah, I mean, you know, he also tells a story, Mr. Edgar Wright, um, that while he's shooting, he had his music supervisor and his editor on the set, I think, also. I can't remember who it was. And but they're, like, the aware that, like, hey, like, the music's done. Yeah, they were looking at storyboards right. of a particular car chase scene, and whoever it was advised him. They were like, hey, you're going to run out of music. Like, your scene's too long. Right. That song's not long enough for right. that. And Edgar Wright was like, well, I'll just figure it out. Like, yeah. he just yeah. went with it anyway. Um, and then when they were on the editing room, he's like, holy shit, like, I'm short, like, a whole minute or something. I'm, I'm out of music. So they I can't went, believe that asshole was right. Yeah. So they went back, and they did in one of their um, pickup shots or whatever, they had the actor who played Baby Ansel something or other. Ansel Inglot? Igor? Igor? Yeah. Ingot? I think it's E G O R T. Is that a name? Um, Englort? But they had him, and they just do a close up of him rewinding the song in the scene um, to an appropriate place that makes sense for the song to be over by the end of the scene. Yeah. And, you know, they, there's enough things happening where it makes sense why he would rewind the song. It because absolutely Because he has does. a specific personality. That's exactly right. Um, it, yeah, Edgar Wright, ultimately, just really lucky that that made sense and really right, worked. Right, And it plays well, and it's kind of funny, and it's yep. like, you know, yep. it's, it works really, really well in the scene. And there's a, there's a reference to it, too, because it happens just in the same scene. If you recall, in the beginning of that scene when they're doing the, um, like, for whatever reason, they take a little bit longer in the car to talk, like their pump-up phrases right so he has to restart the song before they can get out of the car right um and that's in that same scene you know so also yeah, that helped they i don't know if it's fortunate enough or right yeah yeah that they did it but um it's a great movie super awesome like it looks really good it's it's original yeah which is what we're gonna say about the second film too but this is like it's nice less so <laughs> because of the nature of it but yeah. generally like this is like totally its own thing yeah you know yeah, written and directed by Edgar Wright solo, um, which uh, Jay Ray's a bit, and me too, I guess, but more Jay Ray than me, is a big fan of the Cornetto trilogy. So, um, you know, those were Edgar Wright with Simon Pegg That's right. wrote those movies. Yeah. So this is his first thing that he wrote 100% on his own, as much as on your own as anybody could write something. Um, I think he did a great job. Yeah, I yeah. think it's a great movie. It's it has that very unique Edgar Wright feel to it for sure. Um, so if you like the Cornetto trilogy or Scott Pilgrim versus the World, you should definitely check this out. Well, the other thing too I'll say is yeah, that it's not it's not a comedy like those other ones posed to be. Those tend to be comedy slash something else. Yeah, this feels much more like a action movie. Yeah, with the appropriately sprinkled 2017 comedic moments. Yep, I would agree with that. It's as funny as Fast and the Furious. It's which... funnier, probably. I've never seen Fast and the Furious. So why are you answering? I'm just How assuming that it's funnier. Um, no, there are moments, Amanda, okay. in Fast and the Furious. <laughs> that me and my to... brother If Edgar died. Wright listens to this, he might be offended. No, he probably would be... Uh... <laughs> 
you might, you might like it, yeah. I mean, not for nothing, but you can't deny it. I mean, Fast and Furious was like the lar- biggest box office opening this year or something like that. It's like number worldwide, two. Worldwide, yeah. yeah. Worldwide. Yeah. Right, right, globally. That's important. Cause plays China very well in places not the in the United States. Well, plays very well in this household, Amanda. <laughs> Anyways. Um, no, no. So, yeah, it's much more of a serious movie, but has like really good bits. Um, and I won't go into specifics. I want to, but I want everybody to enjoy it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, check it out. You won't be able to see a Q&A with Edgar Wright unless you're overseas because I believe he's in Australia right now. Gotcha. Um, so you probably missed it in the U.S. But yeah, good fun. I agree. Good flick. Loved it. Yeah. Okay. Babyface driver face is what it's called in case <laughs> the, the listeners at home yeah. forgot babyface driver face face. Um, and we saw another movie this weekend. Yeah, we did. It was called Spooperman. He. <laughs> what? That's all I got. I don't know. Spider-Man Spoop- Homecoming. <laughs> Spooperman. Spider-Man Homecoming. I've been waiting a while for this flick. Amanda loves Spider-Man. I do. He's my favorite superhero. That's right. Um, why is he your favorite superhero? Spider-Man is probably... Well, I'm saying he's my favorite superhero. Because he's the most famous superhero who... <laughs> Um, done end of list <laughs> no who um, is about the little guy his his stories tend to be smaller scale than somebody like Superman or Batman who are equally as famous um, or Wonder Woman for that matter since we just saw that movie um, yeah and I just appreciate that about it because I, I really like um, all the Netflix shows the Defender shows because of similar reason right for similar reasons yeah they feel really small they're about Harlem they're about um, does, where does Jessica Jones live? Also in Harlem. They're, are they all in Harlem? It's like Hell's Kitchen, Hell's Kitchen Harlem. That's right. but they're about like these smaller... Right. And they're still big. They're still larger than life sort of characters right. like Spider-Man is, obviously. But I, I sort of like the idea of, as they say in the movie, your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man and like somebody who saves a cat out of a tree. Right. Kind of a hero, you know? Like you go to work every morning at 7.30 or whatever. And at 7.30 you see Spider-Man swinging by. It's like a routine that you've got to be like, right. sup, Spider-Man? And Spider-Man's yeah. like, hey, yeah, taco guy. On top of that, I just like him too because he's like he's like a kid. He's smart. I like smart superheroes like Iron Man um, also. Like people who are more brains over brawn, even though obviously they also have the brawn. Hmm. Hmm. Um, and I don't know. Swinging from fucking webs is cool. Okay. That's... Yeah, and I like that he's a kid. He's, you know, not like he, he can obviously be cocky, but he's not like, I don't know. I kind of hate Batman sometimes because I'm just like, which white dude, boring. So I like this like poor kid who doesn't have parents. And I know Batman doesn't have parents either, but like. Yeah, it's kind of Batman's thing. Yeah. <laughs> not having parents. <laughs> like, I don't know. I just like this like, I don't know. He's... Don't, you know, don't stress yourself okay. out here. Yeah, I, I think we got it. I like Spider-Man. You like Spider-Man. I do. He's okay. my fave. Um, so the important thing about this movie is that it's the first time that Spider-Man has his own film under the Marvel Cinematic Universe. That is the most important thing about this movie. We had first seen him in Captain America Civil War for a bit. Ten minutes maybe at most. Um, but here this takes place... It's got a really interesting timeline. The very beginning of the movie actually takes place immediately after Avengers. 
the first Avengers, which is crazy because that movie is like old by now. Yeah, that was like six or years seven years ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, where we kind of see the beginning of our villain, the Vulture. Um, then we kind of jump ahead and we see some behind the scenes stuff of Peter Parker getting um, brought on by Tony. Right. Um, and then the movie itself takes place now after Civil War. Um, before, I think Civil War is actually just the, the last movie in the timeline. I think so. Um, well, now this is. Well, because I think Doctor Strange came out after. But it might have taken place before. I think it did. And um, and I know Thor Ragnarok, which comes out at the end of this year, I think takes place simultaneously, which is supposed to account... Simultaneously to what? Civil War. Civil War. Which okay. is supposed to account as to why Thor and the Hulk didn't appear in Civil War. Gotcha. Um, right, so... I mean, the thing that I had read and the thing I told Amanda and the thing that she thought was kind of correct was that this is basically... If John Hughes did a Spider-Man movie, right? It's very focused on him being a high school student. It's very focused on his, you know, juggling his life. You know, what school do I go to? What do I want to be when I grow up? Da-da-da-da-da. He doesn't ask either of those questions specifically, but it is the idea. He does specifically ask those questions? He doesn't. No. He doesn't, but 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 that is the idea. Yeah, Yeah. it's like, you know, like what's his place in the world kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And what's interesting, of course, about it is because in a John Hughes sense, you know, uh, Kevin McAllister is a 12-year-old boy who was left at home by his parents. Yep. That's who he is in the world. Right. Similarly, Ferris Bueller is just a kid who took a day off. But... uh, Peter Parker is Spider-Man. Right. So his questions have some unique weight behind it that John Hughes movies didn't necessarily have. Right. Um, well, and I, you know, it's interesting that you say that too because I feel like this movie, um, because we're with Peter, it doesn't... It has that weight to us in a certain way. Like when Michael Keaton is talking... The Vulture's talking through all his stuff or whatever. Maybe we feel that weight, but I don't think Peter feels that weight. And so the movie doesn't really feel heavy that way even when it has its heavier moments right well so so we're going to do some spoiling here yeah sure okay so some minor spoilers here um so tony dies at the end i'm just kidding (laughs) just jokes okay no so what's could you imagine i know it would be fucked up well so what's interesting is like you're saying it's kind of front-loaded with peter feeling how we feel in the beginning that he's spider-man and he should be great and he should be an avenger the movie ends with him going back on that. Right. Being like, I'm Peter Parker. And I'm 15 years old and right. I should probably finish high school. Right. Yeah. Like, I have great power and I have great responsibility. <laughs> but I can do it at home. Yeah. Right. Um, so I can be a better person at the end of this whole thing. Right. Um, right, which is, which is the interesting thing that these other superhero movies never do. They're always like, I can be... The person who saves the world. Yeah, yeah. And they have Peter go through this thing where, like, he can't be that guy right now. Right. And he knows that, and he's okay and he with realizes it. Right. it at the end, and he, he feels good about it, right? Yeah, yeah no, and, and that, that, again, just based on what I already said about why I like Spider-Man, like, that's why I like Spider-Man. So, I think it suited really well. I mean, this is the youngest Spider-Man we've seen on screen, I think. Hmm. Uh, I think he was 15. Yes. Tom Holland. He had just turned 15. Had just turned 15. So that's really, I mean, that's, he's a sophomore in high school. Yep. Um, we don't know when he got bit, which by the way, so glad we didn't have to go through that again for right. a third time. 
Um, Because it still, in a lot of ways, feels like an origin story. Yeah. But it isn't literally an origin story. And thank God. Right. Because he doesn't have, like... um... Yeah, it's interesting. Because we are to assume that everybody knows Spider-Man at this point. He's on YouTube and stuff. He's had the suit for a while. Yeah, I don't know about everybody. But he, yeah, clearly people know. A lot of people. Yeah. I mean, at least people in that area. Yeah. Right, because they're always like Spider-Man swings through whatever part of town he lives in. You know? Right. I think he's from Queens. Yeah, Queens. Um, so it's like, it's not like people are like, who are you? Why are you here? It's like right. everybody knows that's Spider-Man. You know? Right. There's this funny bit in the beginning where some dude on the street is like, are you Spider-Man? He's like, yeah. He's like, do a backflip. Yeah. Does a backflip. And everybody's like, all right, that's cool. Amazing. Um, which is that goes to that neighborhood kind of mentality, yeah. you know, because like maybe he hangs out on that roof a lot. Sure. <clears throat> but um, I forget where I was going. Terrible podcasting. Uh, origin story. Yes. Yeah. So, so kind of like you're saying, it does feel a little bit like an origin story, though, because like Without you don't focus one. on that, right? And he doesn't have any enemies. Yeah. Like, you know, the vulture is his first like. Yeah, because it's guy. still about him becoming Spider-Man in a right. certain way that an origin story would, of course, be about becoming Spider-Man. Right, but um, we just skip the spider bite and the, hey, yeah. I can shoot webbing and all that bull. Right. Yeah. Which is great. That yeah. All that stuff is very tedious. Yeah. So. Um, lot. So what did you feel about the amount of Iron Man in this movie? A lot of Iron Man. Did you like it? Um... I don't know that I didn't like it. You know, saying I liked it. was an it, appropriate amount of Iron Man in this movie. I don't know if it was a... Pro- well, y- you know, in terms of Spider-Man becoming... I mean, that's the story we, we're telling in this movie, right? Spider-Man, like you said, wanting to be an Avenger. Mm. And ultimately realizing that he can't be a full Avenger right now. Right. Um, that's not the best thing for him. And so he needed he needed somebody. I guess it didn't have to be Iron Man. It could have been you know Black Widow or somebody right. else. Um, but he needed an adult, right? A grown up who wasn't Aunt May because in this story she doesn't know that he's Spider Man yet. Right. Um, but he needed a, a grown up around to be like to to tell him all the things that Tony tells him, right? Right. You know, if you don't deserve the suit. If, if you aren't enough without the suit, you're not, you're not enough with it, whatever, all that stuff. Like, you needed the grown-up force. So, and I think it makes sense that it's Tony because of, like, gadgetry and nerds who go to MIT kind of a thing with Tony and Peter. Obviously, they're both smart in that mm. way. So it makes sense that they would... I mean, I suppose the other person could have been um, the Hulk. Could have been... Bruce Banner, yeah. Yeah, Bruce Banner because of that. Uh, but... You know, the Hulk is, he's complicated because he's got complicated feelings about being the Hulk himself. So he can't exactly go to somebody and be like, here's what you should do. Right. You know, and ultimately like, you know, Iron Man is kind of similar to Spider-Man. He wears a suit. Right. You know, he, you know, all this kind of stuff. You know, that's an interesting standpoint in that, like, it makes sense that, well, it makes sense for two reasons. One, because Marvel Civil War was literally between Captain America and Iron Man. That was like the point of it, right? Mm-hmm. The two of them are going at it. So the film follows suit. Um, but similarly, they're also the only two heroes that have kind of like come to terms with their role as heroes. If we yeah, look at the existing hero, right? Because Ant-Man had only been in one movie up until then. Yep. And he certainly wasn't like 
Like he was very surprised when he's enlisted by the end of that uh, in Civil War, right? That he's like going to be fighting for Team Cap or whatever. Yep. Um, Black Widow and Hawkeye, not superheroes. Yeah. Very good secret agent, whatever the fucks. Yeah. But not superheroes. Right. Um, and ultimately, I think if they were really up against it, they'd be out of their league. Right. Um, well, not even just that, but like, you know, they're definitely good guys, so I'm not saying, but they, they have like this mercenary vibe to them in a certain way of like, you know, we just, we do jobs. Right. You know, as opposed oh, to like, sure, we sure, are sure. here for... Moral reasons. Right. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, you know, the same way the superhero like has a lot of weight with that, right. or tends to in these stories anyway. Um, and even... Yeah, Black Panther stuff too, because we don't really know where he's coming from. I can't imagine he would give a shit about Peter Parker. No. The way that they've painted him so far and what we've seen so far. So obviously that's completely out the window. Yeah, so I I guess my point though is that like I feel like it's more of the time I've spent as a hero was more important than the we know how to rewire things. You know what I mean? So what some people were complaining about was that Peter's suit was too hooked up. I agree with that. Um, so, to your other point, that's kind of why it makes sense for Tony to be there because there's um, there's other reasons for them to be connected with each other. Right. Peter kind of depends on his technology on Tony at the moment, and um, then he also serves as the mentor role. Yeah. You know, but yeah, I don't know. I feel like the problem, I guess, with Tony being there is that it's weighted with six movies or however many movies yeah, I have appeared that. in. Yeah. Because you need to have known that he messed up in New York for the first Avengers. And he, you know, had his weird craziness in Iron Man 3 after Avengers. And then obviously had this big breakup with his best friend in Captain America. Right. Like you need to know all of that for him to have, for him to say the suit thing. Yeah, like, I disagree. Hmm. Uh, because how would you know I guess because you could just take it for at his word that he's experienced it or whatever. Yeah, he's an adult. Like he, you know, like Peter doesn't know all that stuff either. But yeah, he knows but Tony's right wrong. because he's a grown up. I mean, the point yeah. of Captain America was that it's just a bunch of grown ups in costumes punching each other in an airport. Sure. So they're all fallible. I just don't think like I. I don't think if you walked into this movie having never seen an Avengers movie or any movie Iron Man appeared in, including his own movies, I don't think you'd be at a loss. No, not at a loss, but you well, don't think there's more. Well, that's how you made more, it sound. Like, you need to know that. You don't yeah, need to know. Yeah, because there's more weight to it. Because it comes from a personal place that Tony has been the one who messed up. As opposed to a place where Uncle Ben says, great power comes with great responsibility. Yeah. What did Uncle Ben fucking do? And we don't know. <laughs> Maybe he probably fought in Vietnam or some old yeah, guy sure, shit. Yeah, sure, sure. You know? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I You know, this is reminding me of our Logan conversation or whatever. But I just don't need it. The same way I didn't need the backstory of how... Um, uh, Professor X came to be ill or whatever was wrong with him or like the details of any of that. Like I just don't need, I don't think that I needed the yeah. Iron Man details. We can all assume that. Yeah, but the difference is Logan doesn't show us that. Right. Which is why you don't need it. Right. Because it tells the story knowing that you don't have that information. Yeah, but I think this movie does too. I think it's successful in that anybody who didn't, who happened to not see any Iron Man movie I'm All, I'm, all I'm saying is that the point is still fine as is. But I think that there's more heft behind knowing the history of him in this universe. Yeah, sure. That gives it kind of a like a tragic truth to it as opposed to 
the grown up knows what's best because he's been there. You know right. what I'm saying? The fact that he is responsible for pushing away his best friends and possibly bringing on an alien invasion to in the city he lives in and all that shit. Yep. I think is what makes you're not worth anything without the suit a much more powerful statement than the adult who's been the superhero longer knows better. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. Because it's personal for Tony in that instance. Absolutely. Any of the heroes could have said it to Peter. Yeah. Because of their status as adult heroes. Right. But Tony being the guy who needs the suit, it's important. Yeah. So we're not disagreeing. Right. I just think it helps. Yeah, it does. I mean, it it absolutely helps. But it's not necessary. It's not necessary. That's all. Yeah. Um, uh, Tombs, the vulture, played by Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton is a fucking blessing. Yeah. And every day in which we aren't sitting around talking about how great Michael Keaton is, mm-hmm. is moments not well spent. <laughs> I'm serious. Like, I, you know, like, ultimately, I like Spider-Man Homecoming, and we'll get to this at the end. But, like, ultimately, like, it's just fine. I, it's not, like, it doesn't add something huge to the conversation. It doesn't change the conversation. It's not, like, like something like Guardians, right, which we have asserted in the past, really sort of push the envelope, right. change what we were looking at, like Deadpool, even like Logan, even if you didn't like it. Um, it, it went did places something that different. no other movies did. That's right. Yes. And while I agree that Spider-Man Homecoming feels a little different, it has this John Hughes vibe, which is different for sure from all these other superhero movies. I don't really know that that's like envelope pushing. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know that that's like a big revolutionary thing. Um, so it's fine. But Michael Keaton... Fucking phenomenal. Mm -hmm. In a totally fine movie full of fineness, Michael Keaton. Playing a role that isn't particularly interesting. It isn't even particularly unique. Like, it's a sort of... We know that story of the guy, the the, little guy who's been been kicked and gets up and fights back or whatever. But, like, he just... He's so good. Yeah. He's so good. I could watch him forever. I just don't think people spend enough time talking about how great Michael Keaton is. That's what I have to say about I this movie. I think he's great. I think he's very good in this movie. Oh, yeah. You might be overselling it a hair. All right. I think you need to calm down. No. <laughs> Amanda, no. Um, yeah, no. No, he did a very good job. Um, but, you, you, I mean, obviously you see see what he's doing in other things he's done. Yeah. Um, which is the only reason why I feel like it's not like... Like Daniel Day Lewis, yeah, it's not a surprise. Yeah, Kevin Spacey too. Kevin yeah. Spacey is different when he plays a character. It's probably just me. This like, is I Michael think... Keaton being another guy in a uh, fucking comic book movie, right? Which he's done three times, yeah, like, four times. I think know, five times. I think the thing is eighteen times. Me on a personal level, I just forget yeah, but, what a good actor Michael yeah. Keaton is, and then I see him in something, and I'm like, fuck, he's so good. Yeah, you know, like if I had to list some really great actors off the top of my head even if you like squeeze my parameters into like actors over 50 who are male and white i'd still like probably never pull his name out of my hat but i should that's correct and that's my fault (laughs) okay anyway i don't know if i've seen enough of his work to say that that is accurate he but he he does not disappoint does not disappoint but like i didn't see mr mom or multiplicity movies he's been in sure i saw two batman movies I saw Beetlejuice. I saw Birdman. Yeah, you went to go see Birdman with me. And then I saw this movie. Yo, Beetlejuice is a great movie. But all of those are like yeah, kind of yeah. wacky movies. Yeah, yeah. So he's very good at being wacky. Or living in a wacky world for mm-hmm. these movies, you know. 
Um, oh, I guess I saw him in other guys. 30 Rock. Yeah, terrible. He's so good. He's fine at that. He's so funny. That's a weird episode. It is. I think that episode, really I think he would be better in a different episode. He okay. dies at the end of it. Yeah, I know. I was like, where is this coming from? Anytime 30 Rock whips out a gun, which is like twice. <laughs> it's really awkward. Yeah. Anyway. Anyways. <laughs> Yeah, he's he's very good. He's it? very good. Yeah, he's definitely one of the stronger points of the movie, for sure. For sure. Also, like, you know, I was just having, like, double moment. Because it is kind of weird to be Batman. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of people's minds, mine included, uh, like, I think of Michael Keaton as Batman. Yep. So to see him then play a villain in a Marvel movie is sort of, like, not jarring, but it's a little weird. So I was having this moment where I was like, well, you used to be Batman, but now you're the Vulture, you know? And then I was like, he's the Vulture, like Birdman. That's how I got there. It was all a thing. It's all connected, everybody. Well, Birdman was kind of like this pseudo-autobiography about him anyways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So the Vulture was just the natural next step. Yeah, totally. Evil (laughs) Birdman. Makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Makes sense. Also, did you get the the parallel Vultures and Scrap? Vultures and Scrap? Yeah. Oh, yeah, because they're, yeah. like, picking up all That's the scrap. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. deep. So deep. Deep. <laughs> really deep. <laughs> it goes so deep. Um, yeah, the supporting cast is fine. Too much John Favreau. I don't... Yeah. You know, I don't dislike John Favreau at all. He's funny. Yeah, and obviously he's integral to the Marvel Universe because he directed those first two Iron Man movies. Um, like, and it's all shaped based on those Iron Man flicks, but... Um, I don't know. Like I don't know. I just felt like it. There, there were some weird story beats in where Peter is so heavily monitored that the several instances we see him go like try to be like, "Hey, you're monitoring me." Crazy shit's happening, and it going unheeded mm-hmm. is um, it's kind of annoying. Yeah, yeah. It's like. They just did it for the sake of the story. Right. And there's even a bit later where the, Tony says that he's been listening and he knows. And, you know, he set up things in motion to stop the bad guys or whatever. But it's still, it would not have worked out well for anybody without Spider-Man being there, you know? So right. even then, it also seems like poor planning. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, you won't disagree with me when I say that this movie just suffers a little bit from being too long. And I think that accounts for like almost all of its problems. Like a little bit too much John Favreau, I think is fair. Too much Iron Man, I think is a fair sentence. Um, Definitely, you know, I said this when we walked out, but I think it takes too long in the beginning to like get to the part where it's interesting. Um, There's too much of just Spider-Man being a kid around right. New York for 35 minutes, um, which again is part of its John Hughes-ness. Right. And part um, of what I would, I call the original stuff. Amanda was quick to say she doesn't agree with me wholeheartedly, but Ant-Man is Iron Man. Right. That was a problem. Doctor Strange is Iron Man. That's right. a problem. Right. Had magic, but still a problem. Um, this is not like any other story I've seen before for superheroes. Yeah. Maybe it's not told the best way, but in and of itself, I think is very, it's only a story that could have been told after eight years of other superhero movies that take place in the same universe. You yeah, know? yeah. Uh, so I think it deserves some props for that part of it. Absolutely. Which it's getting. Yep. It's not, you know, it's not the unsung Marvel hero movie of the year, um, but you're right. It's it's a little long. It's It's a little bogged down by its own, like, 
I don't know, whatever it's trying to do, its own yeah, tone, you right. know, it's like flashiness. Yeah, um, I mean, like, we get it. I, I mean, I, I, I don't know. A, I guess it would be interesting, like, perhaps the movie is geared more at a younger audience than us. Very possible. Um, and maybe that they don't feel this way as much as some people our age or older might of, like, we get it. We were mm-hmm. teenagers, and we get it. We've also seen 1,000 comedies about teenagers, you know, that we could come up with. All the John Hughes movies and anything else, you know, it's like, so... I think part of the reason it feels too long, too, is a level of impatience. I mean, I guess I should really only speak for myself here, but like a level of impatience I have with those stories where I'm just like, yep, I get it. Let's move forward. Like, what else you got? Like, I get what happens here, you know? Well, what's tricky, too, is that like, it, I, it's got to be hard to make one of these movies from a lot of perspectives, but specifically from this instance of like, where is your balance? Because I really dislike the first Thor. Because there's not enough Thor. I don't want to see this dude who doesn't understand what a diner is and how to order coffee. That's boring to me. Yeah, it's too long. And it takes way too long for One him to get the One joke like that is right. enough of that right. joke. And it yeah. happens for an hour and 15 minutes right. until he can like get his stupid hammer. Yep. Um, Thor 2, better, but similarly had the other problem. I think he was too much of a hero. And because of that, I don't remember that movie at all. Yeah. I just know he saved the day. Right. Um... So it's like, I want Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Spider-Man in um, Civil War was perfect. Perfect, I agree. But how do you turn that into a movie? Yeah. And it's a really hard balance. And they tried this thing. Yeah. And they did not succeed. Right. But obviously, it's a certain flavor that you really have to be into. I think I liked it a smidge more than you. But it's possible. It's, but it's long, for sure. And it's kind of up its own butt with its <laughs> tone. You yeah. Yeah. There's a bit where Peter gets locked in a big fucking room and he's supposed to be there till morning or whatever. Right. And it's like seven minute scene at most maybe. Right. It feels longer because the point of it is supposed to be boring. Right. Um, but it's more of that teenager stuff, you know, kind of like living in a big, wide, wonderful world of fancy technology or whatever. It's yeah. like we, we saw that 40 minutes ago. Right. I mean, I'm not a John Hughes fan. That is accurate. Um, so that doesn't help, obviously. And, but really, to, to give all the credit to John Hughes and take all the credit away from me, the reason why I uh, don't like John Hughes so much is because I was born in 1990 and I saw a bunch of other high school movies before I ever saw a John Hughes movie. So John Hughes movies didn't seem like a unique, innovative thing which they were when they came on the scene we didn't have stories like that before john hughes and since john hughes we've had an abundance of them so um your high school career was closer to like the beginning of 21 jump street when the old dudes go to high school like it's not like the the clicks anymore like it was in john hughes time so because of that that kind of feels preachy maybe right like, the people in Breakfast Club are the only types of people that existed in high school. Right. But it's like 21 Drum Street with Channing Tatum. Right. Um, where it's not like that. Right. You know, you could be an A-plus student. No, it was always my and problem. And still play football. And I think yeah. still to, to, to this date, the people that I find who most appreciate John Hughes movies Older. are people who were teenagers when John Hughes made those movies. Mm. You know, they're people just, you know, just enough older than me. Because, like, they didn't even have to be teenagers, but kids. So that those, those were their introductions. And they really relate to it. And they feel like, yeah, that's really what it felt like to be in high school. Well, I when that. I watch them, I don't feel like that's what it felt like to be in high school. 
Well, I wonder too if the thing is because I like them, but mm-hmm. I saw a lot of them before I was there. Right. So maybe that's what it is too. No, it very well might be. So anyway. So if you saw Breakfast Club when you were twelve, you might have liked it better than seeing it in college or whatever. Absolutely, I think that's yeah. a that's a definite truth. And if I had seen it before having seen a bunch of teen comedies that came out in the nineties, right. um, I also might have liked it better. She's all that. Right. Can't hardly wait. Yeah. Right. Just yeah. Endless Scooby Doo. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Anything with Freddie Prince Jr. Right. Bring it on. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but again, so what is good about Spider-Man Homecoming is we certainly have never seen a superhero live in a John Hughes-like world. Right. Even though we've seen a John Hughes-like world a lot. Hmm. So. But it's been a while. It's true. Yeah. And it is, it is refreshing. It's, it's refreshing for the spider, for the superhero and it's also refreshing for the John Hughes feel. Yeah. Because it's a different kind of feel because of the superhero, you know? So so it's to the benefit of everybody, for sure. And right. and I do think it's good, and I did like it. Yes. Um, there's no doubt about that. I just... Um, it's not as groundbreaking as perhaps it could have been, or perhaps somebody might have thought it was when they first conceived it. Like, let's make the John Hughes Spider-Man movie. I, you know? I feel like... I, I do feel like it's as good as it could have been with the approach they took it. Yeah. Because Guardian, Guardians yeah. 2 is Guardians 1. Right. That's what it is. Right. And Guardians 1 was able to be groundbreaking because it had an entire universe at its disposal in terms of actual space. Right. Um, similarly, Thor did not take advantage of its use of that other world stuff, you know, uh, because that first story was grounded in Earth. It felt limited, I think. Yeah, me. yeah. Um, so for Spider-Man, who is a kid stuck in the same city, I think they kind of went as different as they could have because there are things that you're just locked into in a story. He's got to go to school. He is a teenager, so he has teenager thoughts, right? Because otherwise, if you bypass that, then he might as well be Tobey Maguire or Andrew Garfield. Yeah, no, know? it's absolutely true. And they needed to do something yeah. different. I, I'll give them all the credit in the world for that, right? Like, we rebooted, rebooted Spider-Man twice now three times in 15 years yeah that's a very short time span to have three different franchises about or three different you know trilogies or whatever right. about the same fucking superhero and to have all those superheroes be like the high school version of spider-man like you know like they could have done anywhere in spider-man's right. timeline but they didn't they stuck to this part of him which i don't blame them for that's the most interesting best spider-man and i'm just saying you know it could have been different right um it just wasn't so this movie did absolutely what it needed to do. It set itself apart from Andrew Garfield. And it set... Because um, Andrew Garfield... I liked those movies, the Amazing Spider-Man movies, better than the original Spider-Mans. Mm-hmm. But I also don't feel like they went far enough in setting themselves apart from Tobey Maguire. That said, Amazing Spider-Man is further away from Spider-Man than Spider-Man Homecoming it's is amazing. from the Amazing Spider-Man. Right. So there's that. But yeah, I think it did good. And I think, um, for whatever it's worth, Tom Holland, I think, is a really great Spider-Man. That said, I think Andrew Garfield was really great, too. I really liked him. And I think Tobey Maguire was a good Spider-Man, too. So they've really lucked out in finding... They got better. Yeah. I do feel like... I don't know. Tom Holland might be my favorite. I know. I think so, for sure. Because you know what it is? I think Tobey Maguire didn't seem natural doing the snappy Spider-Man thing. Yeah. That Spider-Man really is known for. Right. I think Andrew Garfield was too confident in it. Yeah. Like he was too good at it. 
where maybe it was a little assholey. Yeah. Um, but Tom Holland has this kind of like genuineness about it. Like there's a bit where um, that you see in the trailer where he's taking out four bad guys in the ATM. Yeah. Uh, you know, vestibule or whatever. And there's a bit that you don't see in the trailer, but you see in the movie where he takes seven seconds or so to like position himself right. to make sure it's funny. Right. Um, in a way that, like, I feel like Andrew Garfield just would have got it. Yeah. He would have been in there doing his pose already. Yeah, he was, like, too cool. Right. Which is fine, but, yeah. right, too cool. Yeah. And that's all... Peter. Peter's always been, like... He's like us. And that his snarkiness comes from a place of overcompensation. Right. For Because he doesn't feel confident, you know? Yeah, yeah. But, right, Andrew Garfield would have been too cool. Yeah. Um, no, and, that's absolutely you right. Know, so... So I think that in terms of that aspect of it, it's right. And then, yeah, just in terms of, like, the wonder that is his abilities. Yeah. Like, immediately, Andrew Garfield was, like, really in some deep shit. He's in right. some underground lairs, subway stations converted into labs. Um, you know, Tobey Maguire, his first bad guy is Green Goblin, who is his best friend's multi-million dollar corporation owner, yada, yada. Like, those guys are immediately kind of embedded in the world that is their, not to be punny, but like, you know, very webbed, interconnected history. Mm-hmm. Um, Tom, Tom Holland is not like that. Right. Right. He's like there and like all superheroes, the bad guy happens to be under his nose. Yeah. You know, so it, it doesn't feel as like sticky. Again, more puns. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess I feel like Tom Holland really, um, you know, camp is hard. Camp is really hard and superhero movies have a hard time with it because there's just like varying degrees of the thing you're doing here especially with a character like spider-man um like peter parker who's also a nerd you know there's like so many stereotypes you could be playing into of these things and it's tough because it'll either come off as too cool not cool enough like you know it's it's a really hard point to find the like sweet spot of campiness that doesn't necessarily feel cheesy in a way that makes an audience roll its eyes in a superhero movie but i also think it's like really important it's the thing i love about superheroes so you know it's disappointing to me sometimes that we've gotten to this place where superhero movies have gotten so serious that they don't have that but it that like light-hearted campy quality to them or to some of their jokes but again that quality is really, really hard. It's like a very, very fine line. And I just, I think Tom Holland really nails it. And that's what I think is the best thing about his performance and what sets him apart from Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire, both of whom I don't think quite had that. Mm. They, you know, not that they didn't have their moments or whatever, but Tom Holland just does it better, I think. It's just something, something about him. Probably that he's a homosexual. Yeah, I mean, I, I disagree with you every time you say it in terms of the darkness of movies or sure. whatever, because there have been way more fun superhero movies than there have been dark ones. Right. When when anybody says that, I, I think specifically they don't like Batman. Right. <laughs> and that's fine. That's a totally valid place to be. Yeah. Because Batman became this no, guy Batman, who does that. No, Batman, you mean right. specifically, right? Well, I guess well, continue yeah, to be. Well, yeah, now the Zack Snyder Batman, too. That's true. Yeah. Um, Damn. Yeah, so Bummer. like, like well, and again, even we in the comics, he took that okay. way. Yeah, right, know? right, right. So Batman is like the character because how do you get from Adam West, right, to the Christian Bale Grout? Yeah. It's kind of a long jump. And, you know, so that's always the shining example of where dark, this darkness kind of came over. But on the flip side, Hawkeye, Tony Stark, Ant-Man, 
they all yeah, those are, are all fun guys yeah and they're and you know what and they all put each other through the ringer yeah yeah not one of them is a better zinger than the other yeah right you get them all in the same room and they're all doing the same thing yeah that's um, true and that's yeah, exhausting that's yeah right um you go with deadpool he goes way past the point right. to the point of obnoxiousness right but that's why he's like an anti-hero yeah because you hate him kind of right right uh, but that's why you like them. Yeah. You're like, all right. Well, you know, if this guy could be this big of an asshole and still kill all these guys, that's probably fine. Right. Um, and then Batman goes the other way. So we need like these. That's why Captain America, I like him. Right. Because in this universe, he's the only one who goes into a room and understands the gravity of it. Yeah. He's like pretty quote unquote normal. Right. Right. Which is probably what I don't like he's, about him. Right. Because he's got really the more true. serious movies it's out true. of the universe. No, he yeah. absolutely does. Um, but someone has to so much because there's weight there. Yeah. You know, so even in Iron Man 3 where Tony's going through this existential crisis because he experienced the Battle of New York and saw these superhuman people and aliens and he went through a time portal and was in the middle of space that no other human's ever been in, right? And he has this like moment of crushing this. Right. Um, even though that movie wasn't great, it was kind of refreshing because otherwise Tony seems so on top of all of his shit. Uh, I had said this to you after we saw Homecoming. But it was interesting to watch a movie where we're not in Tony's head. Yeah. Where all of Tony's plans go off from our perspective really well. But that's what's great about the first three Iron Man movies is that like we're in his suit and he's freaking out. He's like, well, how can I recalibrate this shit? Da, 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 whatever. Um, so it, it's a tricky balance. And I can't say either universe figured it out. Yeah. But that's what's nice about Tom Holland as Spider-Man is because he does both. Yeah, well, and I think about this whole movie, honestly, I just, uh, you know, as much as the vibe of it might not have been perfect, or it might have, you know, made it make some missteps, I do think it it's, it's the vibe I like, I think right. is the right vibe, because like, there is weight and heaviness and gravity to Michael Keaton's story, right, to the Vulture's story, right, there's some seriousness there, that's like a serious question we can all ask ourselves about like, how we treat people, right, and stuff like that, so... Um, but at the same time, it doesn't feel heavy mm-hmm. or dark or like a movie about terrorism right. or anything, you right. know, like, cause that's the thing, like Iron Man, obviously full of zingers, very fun movies, but like those people he goes up against are like, I mean that, you know, right. no, it's yeah, terrorists, they're, they're it's heavy, are, yeah, like right. it's, yeah. you know, it's, it's not even, it's not like it's so much like sits around the way Batman, Nolan's Batman does of like. Uh, uh, like dreary <laughs> sorry but like dreary really dark yeah. it's just that like the subject matter like what he's fighting has a lot of weight to it because you're talking about like America right. and war and right. like really right, 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 big right. big things and again so Spider-Man Homecoming the stuff that's going on with Michael Keaton and the Vulture deciding that he needs to do this for his family like all these questions are good big questions that I think we want to ask and aren't light by any means, but they also aren't like weighted down in so much um, of our current like political climate while still totally being weighed down in our current political, you know, I don't know. It's, it's a tough thing, but it's a balance of it. And I think a lot of the superhero movies that came out in the early 2000s um, had a sort of reaction, like everything did, felt like a reactionary feel to 9-11. Right. Um, but again, maybe it felt that way because we're Americans and we were having a reactionary thing to 9-11 and so we saw all that stuff through that lens. But that's the part I didn't like. I was like, I can't 
like go to a movie about superheroes, which is supposed to be like this otherworldly kind of right. distant thing for me and be talking about terrorism and war, you know, like I just can't. Yeah. That That's what I always had a hard time with. So I feel like this, you know, in terms of that was really perfect. It was, wasn't heavy, but it wasn't not serious or didn't, didn't have gravity, you know, like it had plenty of gravity and weight. It just wasn't like killing my soul, you know? Yeah. You know, you know, as you were, you were saying that I was um, thinking, I think part of the problem too, is that it's so, f- this movie is so alone in its release schedule. Mm-hmm. We're not going to see another Marvel movie till November. Um, and as like the blockbuster, the summer blockbuster, it feels like it falls short. It of falls that short, feeling. and I was gonna say also it it doesn't have weight in its universe. Mm-hmm. Like even Ant Man, and I really every day I think about Ant Man, I think less of it. I should watch it again just so I might like it a little bit more because there are some good things in that movie. Yeah, like Michael Pena was awesome. Michael Not Pena a superhero, but he was is hilarious. so good. But um, I love him. You know, he's trying to get Corey Stoll um, to stop using that suit because. They're going to release weapons and all that kind of stuff. But, like, from a perspective of, like, they can do it. Mm-hmm. Like, he runs a company that will do this thing. Just like Tony does, you know? Right. So, there's, like, a really big sense of urgency in that movie. They try to do the same thing in this movie, but it doesn't quite click, I think. Is that the Vulture is ultimately um, repurposing Chitari technology from Avengers turning it into made-at-home weapons and then selling it on the black market. But we never see anybody specifically get hurt, save for one person, and he doesn't die. Yeah. And, they, and honestly, I thought they were going to linger more on the destruction of his livelihood. Yeah. Because um, there's an instance where this dude we meet a little bit before that, very friendly guy, but then his shop gets blown up and he's in it. But yeah. He's fine. Spider-Man right. saves him. Um, but then that's it. Like, we never see the other people who own this technology. Well, we see that guy get vaporized. So that's a thing. But that's all, like, within their own stuff. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, which is not not good. Right. But that was a bad guy. and The guy who did it was a bad guy. So it was just, like, right. bad guys Obviously, we each other. see okay. um, Spider-Man punched with that glove. Right. Uh, which presumably again, could have Spider-Man. hurt someone else. So I see what you're saying. There weren't enough, like, innocent people. Right. So, the, his, so Spider-Man has this determination throughout this whole movie. He's got to stop the vulture, right? Yeah. No one else will. He's got to be the one. Right. And it definitely is leaning more on his want to prove to Tony that he can do it. Yeah. As opposed to the greater good of it. Yeah, absolutely. By the end of it, he gets there. Well, because that's the thing. Ultimately, like, part of the reason, and again, it's what I said about Spider-Man in the beginning, is like part of the reason Tony doesn't care, presumably, every time Spider-Man keeps trying to call, um... Is because it's not a big enough deal. Right, right. He, you know, the vulture is this sort of small potatoes bad guy. Um, but Spider-Man, in theory, instead of spending so much time trying to prove himself, but of course that's the thing a 15-year-old would do. Right. Um, it'd be nice if he was like, no, this is a big deal. Because selling these weapons is a really bad thing for my neighborhood. Which Donald Glover has that moment where he's like, I don't want these weapons well, in my neighborhood either. Well, that's the thing. Either. Donald Glover has a better moment. He really that. does. Right, yeah. It's true. No, it's really true. Yeah. So. And even then, and again, I do feel like Peter tried. 
Yeah. We see like four times he calls Happy. Yeah. Which is why Happy's in it too much. Right. Um, you know, and like no one looks at Happy as he's the buffoon who keeps hanging up on Peter. Right. Um, yeah, they just don't care. They don't think it's a big enough deal. Yeah. So, so there's definitely a disconnect between where the urgency is. Yeah. Like there's a bad guy. There's a hero. It's almost like they're just like, yeah, there's something there. But they, they didn't do enough to connect it for, for the audience, I think. Yeah, no, I think that's And I think really that's fair. where it falls. I didn't think of that, but I, I agree. That final interaction between the Vulture and Spider-Man is good. Yeah. It's one of these instances where, like Aloy in that mission I did for Horizon Zero Dawn, he's kind of stripped down bare bones. You know, he's in his... Uh, the suit he had made himself. Right, you know, his Jim Close Spider-Man costume. And uh, he's forced to fight this guy who is still at the peak of his technological whatever he's got going on. Yep. And he does it because of he's Spider-Man, he believes himself, sheer will, that kind of thing. Um, so that's good. But again, it doesn't have the weight that's necessary for us to like feel impacted by it. Yeah, and, and I guess too, like I don't know that we know that he gets there. You know, like, he is really just kind of more out to prove himself than anything else. And, of course, when he turns down the job with the Avengers in the end, I guess we're supposed to take away from that that he gets it now. Right. About being a better man without the suit or whatever. Um, but we, I don't know that that's enough, you know? And it's I all think confusing, that's what it is, too, because like, then Tony goes through his whole thing where, like, he really... So, again, spoiler alert for the end of this movie... <laughs> But, like, you know, Tony approaches it like he's like, okay, you're an Avenger. You did it. Right. Tom, uh, Peter Parker goes into it looking at, like, it's a he test. He thinks it's a test, right. So, because of that, you're right. It seems like he's kind of almost go. It's possible he's yeah, going he's through the motions. he's trying to do it to, to make the right choice, not because he knows in his heart that it's right. Right. You know? Right. Which is ultimately, I think, what happens when he fights the vulture also in that final battle it seems like he's really more out to do it to prove he can do it yeah because i think it muddies the situation the fact that it's tony's plane right 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 if it wasn't tony's plane maybe it'd be a little different right but it's so interconnected and incestuous yeah it's just uh man i feel like i should watch it again because now i don't like it so much i hate it okay don't hate it that's too late it's a little harsh too late but i don't think logan It's it's fine. I, yeah. I'm going to stand by no. my statement that it is it, a fine it, it, movie it, it that is fine. just fine. It was fine. And it's, yeah. And it was a refreshing Spider-Man story. Yeah. And I think ultimately a refreshing MCU story. Yep. If you ignore Guardians, which yep. is the most interesting. Right. Um, which is certainly better. Yeah. Go see that. Instead. It's definitely worth seeing. Yeah, I agree. I liked it. Yeah. I walked out and I yeah. liked it. You know. Yeah. Felt good about it. But yeah, I just don't think... It's it's a tough thing, Spider Man. Yeah. It could have been better, but it also easily could have been way worse. For sure. <laughs> I mean, if anything, it's almost like they went a little safer. Yeah. Because they know that this has to have legs for the next ten years or whatever. Right. You know. Right. All right. Well, there you go. That's it. Go watch Baby Driver. Go watch Spider Man Homecoming. Play Breath of the Wild. Play Horizon Zero Dawn. Visit Zencaster.com with coupon code BROKENJARS, all caps, to get your discount on your trial version, yada yada words. Follow us on Tumblr, d2ga.tumblr.com. Follow us on Twitter, Twitter at DangerAlonePod. Um, and go fuck yourself. Yeah. <laughs> go fuck yourself. Let's say it a little slower. 
Go fuck yourself. <laughs> he started before me and it felt weird to jump in. Uh, you know, it was sort of like a, like, you shall <laughs> not pass. A movie you never saw. That's true. That's true, guys. So I don't know if that was a good impression, was it? No. Terrible. <laughs> Terrible. Sorry, that's what it made me think of. That's okay. You have to say it like there's a giant fire devil. Uh, coming at you and your friends. The only way I know how to say it is the way Jason Siegel says it in Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Oh, I see. So you're doing an impression of an impression. Yes. That's tough. Yeah. Not impactful. Sorry. Okay. See you next time. Bye, guys. Thank you.